Well, we live during some stressful events and stressful times in the world and the country around us. And many of us have given some thought to how all the stress we're experiencing has been affecting things at work or at school or at church or in our neighborhood or wherever that may be. But perhaps we've not given as much thought to thinking through how just living in a kind of a constant state of stress can take its toll on relationships. And that as you're thinking through some of the collateral damage of just what's going on in the world and what's going on all around us, we may not have stopped to think it's probably having some adverse effects on relationships we have with people that we love. So this week I did a little research What are some signs that your love for another person may have started to grow cold, perhaps without you knowing it? And so there were lots and lots of things I found. I called the list down. I went on a lot of internet sites on relationships. And I called the list down to a seven. Seven signs that perhaps your love for another person is not as warm as you once had it. So let's go through those together. Number one, you share with other people rather than your loved one, your longings, your fears, and your hopes. That maybe there's a person in your life, a loved one that you normally open up to, but recently you found yourself wanting to talk about your struggles, your desires, your hopes, your longings with other people instead of that person. Number two, You take up outside interests, throw yourself into work, school, or other friendships, immerse yourself in technology to avoid spending time together. Maybe this was a conscious decision, maybe it was an unconscious decision, but you find yourself pouring yourself into work or school or constantly on the phone or the tablet or the computer, avoiding interactions with this person who you used to spend so much time with. Number three, you don't discuss the future or future plans together. I thought that was really interesting when I read that one. If you think about it, I think it's true that if you're not discussing where are we going in the future, what are we going to do together in the future, what is coming in the future, that can be a sign that you're just not thinking about this person and your future together with them. Number four, you no longer talk about your loved one in glowing terms to others. Maybe this is a person, uh, somebody you're married to that you're constantly in the past have been talking about how great they were and how wonderful it was that you got to spend time together and that this person did this and this person did that. And recently you don't do that anymore. You just, you just don't talk about them. Perhaps if you talk about them at all, it's not in that glowing, positive, affirming sort of way when you're with other people. Number five, Speaking of other people, you avoid inviting them to go out with you, especially when you're hanging out with certain friends. And you think, you know what? I'm going to keep that person over here. These are my friends for doing these kinds of things. I don't want them coming to be part of this. Number six, you have little interaction during the day when you are apart, except to accomplish tasks you might need them for. And you don't look forward to your time together or plan to spend time with them. 
You may think, well, I'm, I'm always talking to this person. I'm always calling them. I'm always... But is it simply to get done the things that need to get done in life? Are you looking forward to uh, the evening when you're going to see them again or Friday night when you'll be able to hang out or whatever that may be? Or is it simply you're not even making plans to get together? Number seven, you don't buy spontaneous presents for them or give much effort to birthday, anniversary, or Christmas presents. Now, like I told you, I got these off some internet sites. There were tons more. I thought these were actually pretty helpful, though, in thinking through when might your love for another person have cooled? Now, all of the sites I got them from were talking about romantic relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, but I think the list is actually applicable to any relationship you might have with another person where there's love involved. So a parent-child relationship, a relationship with siblings, friendships, and especially for us this morning, our relationship with Jesus. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to think about our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it's good to kind of step back and kind of assess where we at. How is this going? We do this maybe in friendships. We do this in marriage. We do this in parent-child relationships. This morning, it's appropriate for us to do this with regards to our relationship with Jesus. And in fact, this morning, Jesus would like to have a discussion with us. And he'd like to have a chat with us about how our relationship is going. I hope there are some things that we will hear from Jesus that encourage our hearts. There may be some things we hear from Jesus that bring conviction to our hearts. But let's sit down together and have this discussion. So if you will, would you take a Bible and open to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, it's page 991 in the church Bibles. If you take one of those Bibles, turn to page 991. You'll be in Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a church Bible, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So you go all the way to the end uh, and come back to chapter 2. What we're about to hear, we actually already heard it read to us, is the first of seven messages that Jesus has for the church, for us. And we can hear this message today for us collectively as Calvary Church. We can also hear it and are meant to hear it individually that Jesus says to some of the other churches, uh, some of you are doing this and some of you are doing that. And so some of this message is not just for us collectively as a church, but for some of us this morning, we need to hear Jesus speaking specifically to us. So my prayer is, my prayer all week, my prayer this morning, my prayer right now, is that you might hear the words that I'm saying, but that it might be Jesus speaking to you. These are his words, and I just get to be the messenger to deliver them. So Stephanie already did a great job reading to us these seven verses. Let's dive in and walk our way through them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, so this is a message that was originally given to a church in Ephesus, but is meant for us today, and Jesus is speaking through it to our church and to us individually. He begins by saying, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
Jesus begins with a description of himself. We saw last week in Revelation chapter one that John has this overwhelming vision of Jesus, this very visual, very descriptive, very powerful vision. And in that vision, a number of aspects of Jesus are described, and Jesus refers to two of them here. First of all, he says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. Those seven stars represent seven angels with seven messages for seven churches or seven messages for us today. And Jesus says, this message is coming directly from me to you. He also describes himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you read Revelation 1, this vision of Jesus, his face is shining bright like the sun, and there are golden lampstands around him, menorahs, seven-branched lampstands that are shining around him. And in Revelation 1, it says that he stands in the middle of them. But when Jesus introduces himself in Revelation 2, the message he has for us today, he describes himself slightly differently. He says, I'm the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Meaning that he's not just standing in church, he is walking among us here this morning. And whether you're at home or whether you're here in the sanctuary, I'd like for you to picture in your mind's eye, Jesus walking up and down the aisles of the church. Jesus walking across the rows of the church. Jesus in your living room, in your home, walking past. And as he is moving about us, literally here this morning, you can't see him, but he's here and he says, I walk among the churches. Picture him with his eyes blazing, as it was described in Revelation 1 that he sees all things. He sees every person. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. And in your mind's eye, imagine him walking through the church, looking at you, looking at me. We were told in Revelation 1 <clears throat> that a sword comes from his mouth. Again, it's a metaphor. And the idea here is, is that the words that Jesus speaks are precise and accurate, like a surgeon's scalpel, dividing our souls from our spirit, able to pierce the thoughts and intentions of our heart. In this way, our relationship with Jesus is different than some of the other relationships we have with others. If you have a close friend and your friend says, hey, look, we need to talk. And they say, something's wrong in the relationship. It feels like you don't want to hang out with me anymore. It feels like I did something, that something is wrong. What's going on? And if you're like me, perhaps one of your first inclinations is to deny it or to be defensive or to say, oh, no, 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 everything's fine. And just think to yourself, yeah, it's because I really don't want to hang out with you, but I can't tell you that. Maybe you have a marriage partner who says to you, I just, I don't feel like you love me anymore. 
And maybe you are like me, you want to say, oh, no, no, but look, I did this and I did this and I did this. And you want to do anything to stonewall them or to kind of put it off or say, you want to make them think, no, it's all in your mind. With humans, sometimes we can get away with that. But not with Jesus. He sees us. He sees us clearly. His eyes are blazing bright. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. The words he speaks are precise. They are accurate. There is no stonewalling. There is no denying. What he says that he sees in us, you can try to pretend is not there. But he sees all things. He knows all things. Every word that he speaks is accurate and true and none of them are wasted. Which is why it's so encouraging that Jesus starts with commendation. There are three things that he wants to say to us this morning. And I hope and pray you hear yourself in these commendations, that you hear Jesus speaking to you. The first one, verse two. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. Do you hear Jesus saying to you this morning as he walks up and down the aisle, as he looks into your living room, as he sees you, do you hear him saying, I know you, you are a hard worker. I see the work that you're doing. I see the fact that you've been volunteering in the children's ministry for years, week in and week out, constantly serving and doing good things. He says, I see that. Well done. Do you hear him saying to you, I know that you are an usher and you come here and you get here early and you work at the church and you make sure you welcome people and even if you're having a tough day, you make sure that they feel welcome and that, that they find their seat. Jesus says, well done, I see your hard work. He says, I see you in math class and I know you hate math and I know you have no idea what you'll ever use this math for in the future, but still you're doing it. You do your homework, you're trying, you're working at it and he says, well done, you are a hard worker. He sees you going to a job every day that you hate and yet you're still there, you're doing it as for the Lord and you're working hard and he says, well done, you are working hard. He sees you making most of the meals for your family. And nobody seems to say thank you anymore. And nobody even seems to help clean up. But Jesus says, I know how hard you work. I know what you're doing. I know all those loads of laundry. I know all the work you're doing to keep that house clean. I know how much you do to try to make everybody's schedule fit together. Please hear Jesus saying to you, well done. It's a genuine commendation. He says, no one else may notice, but I notice. I notice what you've done. You are a hard worker. And Jesus says, thank you. The second commendation, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Hear Jesus saying to you, you are discerning. That Jesus knows that you don't just take everything you hear and believe it. 
that you don't believe in the sort of health and wealth prosperity gospel that if somehow you're a Christian, everything's gonna go great and you're gonna be rich and everything's gonna be easy. You don't believe that stuff and Jesus says, thank you. Thank you for being discerning. There's so much junk out there. The fact that you are willing to listen and say, no, 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 wait, that's not right. Jesus sees that you don't believe everything you hear at Calvary Church. You go home to check, is this really what the scriptures say? And you send an email or you ask a question or you say, look, I'm just trying to understand or I thought it was supposed to be this way. And Jesus is saying, well done. Thanks for not just taking everything hook, line and sinker. Jesus sees that you're not just believing everything that the media says. You're not just believing everything that people on social media are saying. You don't think that every Hollywood director has the correct view on life and you're able to see this part is right and that part is wrong. The book that you're reading, you think, well, I think this part goes with what Jesus says, but that part over there, I got questions on. You're sitting in class and your professor says something and even if that person is a Christian, you still are saying, well, wait a second. We got to evaluate everything that's said in accordance with God's word and that's song that you love. The music is great and most of the lyrics are good, but you haven't bought into all of the worldview. And Jesus is saying, I see that about you. I love that about you. You've not avoided engaging with the world. You're doing it in a discerning way. You're trying to separate the good from the bad. And he says, I love it. Thank you. And so I hope you hear him saying to you, well done. The third commendation You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus says, I see your perseverance. I see the fact that you've been sick for a long time and doctors can't figure out what it is. And you just keep walking that road and you just keep persevering and he says, well done. He says, I see all the difficulty you've had in having that special needs child, an assignment that Jesus says, I gave to you myself and you've continued to be faithful. Jesus says, I see you struggling with those special needs and that you've been given a very hard assignment by Jesus to go through life with different abilities or struggles that other people don't know anything about. And Jesus says, you have persevered and I am pleased with you. Well done. Jesus sees you going through this culture and you might be an outsider. You might be poor, you might be a widow. You might be less educated than the world thinks you ought to be and Jesus sees that you have walked a hard road and that simply the existence that you have because you're a refugee, you have a different color skin, because you've had a different experience, because you don't fit in, because you're a Christian in a world that does not affirm Christian values, Jesus says, but still you're putting one foot in front of the other. You keep marching forward and he says, I see your perseverance and that when you go to work, you're the only Christian there. When you go to school, you're the only one there or in your family, you're picked on or there are snide comments or jokes or all those things but you continue to press on please hear Jesus saying I know you have a hard road I chose that road for you and you're walking that road in perseverance well done these are genuine commendations from a God who sees you who knows you please believe them Jesus not lies about nothing 
he sees everything. His words are always precise and accurate and true. And I hope you hear him speaking directly to you. Well done. Well done. Now, if we're willing to accept commendation from Jesus, if we're willing to believe that he sees all the hard work and the discernment and the perseverance, we also need to be willing to believe that he sees what's wrong. And in verse four, he's got an accusation that he wants to make. And it's a doozy. It has resonated throughout the history of the church, this verse. For me, myself, Jesus has said these words to me on multiple occasions, and it's painful to hear. Perhaps you will hear him saying them to you this morning. Verse four, yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. He's saying you're doing a great job. You're a hard worker. You're discerning. You're persevering. But you've lost your love for me. You're doing all the right stuff, but for the wrong reasons. You're laboring, you're working, and Jesus loves the work. You heard him say that. You're enduring hardship, and Jesus loves that you're enduring hardship. You're living in the world, but you're trying not to be of the world, and Jesus loves that you're doing that. But here is his accusation for you and for me. He says, something has gone wrong in your heart. At first, you were doing this for me, and now you're just doing it. You're going through the motions. Jesus is saying to us, listen, your hopes and your longings and your fears, you're telling everybody else about those, but you don't come talk to me about them. He says, you found all that you're pouring all this energy into your work, into school, into technology. Look, he's like, I'm there with you, but you're choosing the tablet. You're choosing the job. You're choosing other things. He's like, I see what you're doing and I know something's wrong in your heart. Jesus says, we don't talk about the future. <laughs> like you're not looking forward. He's like, we're gonna be together, you and I. We're going to be together and you don't think about that. You don't talk about that. We don't discuss what it's going to be like. We don't celebrate the fact that we're gonna be together. He's like, that's probably the furthest thing from your mind. Jesus says, you no longer talk about me in glowing terms to others. If you mention me at all, it tends to be in just sort of a routine, matter of fact way. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. He's like, that's not how somebody who loves me acts. That's not how they talk. 
He says, you're avoiding inviting me to hang out with you. There's certain friends that you don't want me to show up with you. Church friends, yeah, fine. But there's some other friends you're like, no, no, no. I don't. Jesus, you stay home. You have little interaction with me, Jesus says during the day. Oh, you call me when you need help with a test. You call me when you don't have a date on Friday night. You call me when you're struggling with pain or you got a headache or you need some help. But he's like, most of our interactions, are you just telling me what you need from me? He says, you're not setting aside time to spend with me. You're not looking forward to when the work day or the school day or whatever is over so that we can be together. He's like, you're not getting up early so we can hang out. He says, you don't buy spontaneous gifts. Now, we're not buying Jesus presents, but we give him gifts. Give him praise, we give him money. Now, you may think, well, I'm still, I'm giving my tithes and offerings. And Jesus is saying, thank you, well done. But it's possible that we simply view it as a tax. That's what we gotta give. And essentially, Jesus is saying, you're going through the motions. It's a hard accusation. It'll shake you to the core. Because the basis of a relationship is love. (laughs) And if you've had enough friends or spouses or parents or children or whoever say, look, we got to sit down and talk. We can stonewall them, we can ignore them, we can throw up all these rationalizations, all of these excuses, but are you hearing Jesus potentially say to you this morning, look, something's wrong. You're doing good things, but you don't love me anymore. You're doing good things, but something is amiss in our relationship. Jesus says, I see you. You can try to run away. You can try to look the other direction. He's like, I'm here with you, walking among you. I'm looking at you. I know what's going on in your heart. You can lie to other people, but you can't lie to me. I know that something has changed. He says, you just simply don't love me the way you used to. Well, if you hear him saying that to you this morning, let me just say, I've heard him say that to me. It's hard to hear. It cuts you to the heart. If you're willing to be honest, you can say, it's true. Something happened. So what do you do? What do you do if right now you're hearing Jesus say, no, this is you, I'm talking about you, I see you. He gives us three things to do. Number one, remember. Verse five, consider how far you have fallen. He's saying remember. The problem with love growing cold is it doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly but surely. And the only way to know your love has grown cold is to compare it to what it used to look like. And Jesus says, do you not remember what it was like when you first became a Christian? 
and you were overwhelmed with the grace that I would forgive you for all these sins? That all that stuff that you'd done, all the stuff that society will never forgive you for, that family members keep remembering and throwing up in your face, all this stuff, the shame and the guilt, Jesus came and forgave you for all of it, and do you remember the joy of your salvation? Do you remember that period in your life where you just couldn't get enough of God speaking through his word? I had a pastor friend talking about this subject in Texas. I was in the service and he said there was a time in his life when he loved reading the Bible more than watching movies and he would go to the store and buy a bag of Doritos and sit there and eat it while he read the Bible for hours and hours. Do you remember what it was like that season in your life when you're like, I just can't get enough of this? Do you remember what it was like when you're like, like, well, you wanted to be in church all the time. You just wanted to be around God's people. You're like, I'm never missing youth group. I want to be there with the people of God. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember when you loved getting up in the morning to talk to the Lord or you would pray to Jesus and you would pour out your fears and your emotions and your worries and your struggles and you would hear him say to you things, don't be afraid. You would hear him say, I love you. You would hear wonderful things and your heart would soar. Do you remember the time when you used to walk around singing worship songs or praise spontaneously and wherever you would going, those songs would be running through your mind? If you compare where you are now to then, you may think, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I downloaded that song and just listened to it over and over again because it made my heart sore. Do you remember when you couldn't talk about Jesus enough when he healed you or led somebody to faith or did something amazing and you were bursting to tell other people about it? Jesus says, remember those seasons because otherwise it's impossible to know how far we've fallen. Do you remember when you used to make dates to hang out with Jesus? To be like, you know what? I hope nobody calls because I want to spend time with him. So the first thing Jesus says, remember. Remember what our relationship used to look like. Remember how you used to feel about me and what you used to do. The second thing he tells us to do is to repent. The reason he has to tell us this is because almost all of us have believed a half-truth. The half-truth is all relationships grow colder over time. And because we believe that half-truth, we don't think there's anything to repent of. This is just how it works. Now, I said it's a half-truth. Half of it's true. There is a sense in which the excitement the joy, the newness of every relationship changes over time, including our relationship with Jesus. That there is a sense in which the newness of, I've been forgiven for my sins, that can't last for 50 years in the sense of you get used to the fact that Jesus does forgive us. This newness and the excitement of, I've never read Revelation 1 before. At some point you have read Revelation 1 before. And so there is a truth to the fact that relationships change over time. 
The reason why we have to repent is half of that is true, but half of it is false. And the falseness of the idea that all relationships grow cold is there are examples of marriages where people have been married for a long time and love each other more deeply now than they did when they first met. It may feel different. There may be less excitement, less newness, less shock at how things are working themselves out, but there is a sense of a deep love, a commitment to one another, that you can actually be married to somebody and want to spend time with them more now than you did back then, that all of a sudden you found your life so enmeshed in another person's life that you can't even imagine your life without that other person. There is a way for relationships to grow deeper over time, that we all have those friends. That when we first met them, yeah, that was great, man. This is so cool. It's so fun to have this person that shares the same interest than I do. But now that you look back having been friends for two years or 20 years or longer and you look, you know what? We've been through some hard things together. We've prayed for one another. We strong, And the relationship is deeper and stronger and better. And the lie is, is that somehow that doesn't happen in our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, that's the way it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be all new and exciting all of the time. There are difficult seasons, but what is supposed to happen is the love is supposed to grow deeper and stronger and more powerful. And Jesus says, the reason we have to repent is he didn't stop loving us, we stopped loving him. He's still there in the morning waiting for us to get up and spend time with him. We used to do that. We're the ones sleeping in, not him. He didn't stop loving us. He's in that room every time we pick up the tablet or pick up the computer or pick up the phone or pour ourselves into work or think to ourselves, yes, I know it's eight o'clock at night, but if I could just get some more work done, then I'd be further along. He's the one we're no longer spending the time with. He's still waiting there. He's not stopped loving us. He's not stopped forgiving us. We're still the apple of his eye. We are the joy of his life. He wants to spend time with us. It's us who've stopped wanting to spend time with him. That's why Jesus says it's time to repent. Don't believe the lie that all relationships somehow move to this point of complacency. They are hard work. But he's not stopped loving us absolutely, totally, and completely. We stopped loving him. And Jesus says, you owe me an apology. (laughs) You can pretend you don't, but you do. And if we're honest, while he walks up and down the aisles, when his eyes meet ours and those blazing eyes look into our hearts, and he knows that we have fallen out of love with him. He says, look, I can understand perhaps you falling out of love with a spouse or a friend, but I've never stopped loving you. I have never left you or forsaken you. I have never abandoned you. I have never chosen other people over you. And Jesus says, you owe me an apology. And if we're honest, he's right. So he says, remember and repent. And then the third thing, redo. Do the things you did at first. 
He's not talking about the working in children's ministry and the ushering and all those kinds of things. We're doing lots of stuff and he is commending that and he is grateful for that. What he's saying is do the things that grow love and show love. Things like prayer, things like time in his word, things like fasting, to be able to spend time with him, things like putting down the tablet to engage with him, things like listening to worship music, things like praying and saying, oh Jesus, please let my heart grow deeper towards you. He's saying, do those things you do it, did it first. Remember those periods where you were memorizing his word, where you were meditating on his word, where you were talking about him with others. Redo those things. Do them again. Because they grow love, and they show love. Jesus goes on with a warning at the end of verse five. And if the accusation is a doozy, the warning is a doozy too. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now that doesn't mean that you will no longer be a Christian. Nothing you or I did made us a Christian. Nothing you or I could do would stop us from being a Christian. We become a Christian by faith. What Jesus is saying here is one of the really hard things about our relationship with God is because God does respect us as human beings and created us in his image. He chooses to often bind himself to our decisions meaning one of the really hard things with God is he sometimes gives us exactly what we want. And what Jesus is trying to say is, look, if what you really want is a complacent, cold relationship with Jesus, he says, beware. You might get exactly what you're hoping for. And the lampstand of your life and of this church that once shone brightly with the warmth of Jesus' presence. He said, I'm just going to blow it out. That's not your salvation. But it's the presence of the warmth of Jesus in your life in a tangible, real way. Fortunately, verse five is the not the last verse of the message. Verse seven is. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What Jesus is saying is, look, we gotta talk about our relationship. And if you hear him looking at you this morning, speaking to you this morning, if you see him seeing you and you hear him saying, something's wrong in our relationship, then it's not too late. (laughs) If you hear him saying, well done, but something's wrong in your heart, it's not too late. If today you are willing, notice he says, to repent. We do need to remember, we do need to redo. But the most important thing is to repent today. If you repent, it's not too late. And by God's spirit, regularly God has to say, hey look, our relationship has gotten out of kilter. If you are willing to say, you are right, Lord, I am sorry. 
Jesus says you'll be victorious. God forbid that he blows out the lampstand. But he says today, if you're still listening, it's not too late. Today, if you realize Jesus brought you here for a reason, Jesus sat you in the seat you're sitting in for a reason. Jesus is talking to you for a reason. And if you're willing to acknowledge that, you're going to be okay. Now, it's hard. It's hard to hear this. It's hard to say it. But I will say, when I think about West Michigan, Grand Rapids, Calvary Church. If I had to pick a sin, just one, that was endemic in the culture in which we live here, I don't think it would be laziness, though some of us struggle with the sin of laziness. I think generally we're a hardworking group. I don't think it would be heresy, though some of us struggle with following false beliefs. I think we're generally a uh, right-believing group. I don't think it would be a lack of steadfastness, though some of us stumble in the midst of hard suffering. I think generally we're a persevering group. But if I had to pick a sin that is most dangerous in West Michigan and most dangerous at Calvary Church, it would be complacency. Christianity here is just kind of in the fabric of life. But Jesus wants a relationship. We want to put his name on the schools or on the workplaces. We want to hang pictures of him up in our home. It's great. Please hear me commending that. But Jesus says there's more to it than this. It's a relationship. And what he wants is not us to talk about Christianity. He wants us to talk to him. And so I know that in this place, we need to hear this message over and over again. I'm sure it's true everywhere. But here, it feels like we're constantly in danger of falling back into this complacent Christianity. So please hear Jesus saying to you with all seriousness, well done on your hard work. Well done on your discernment. Well done on your perseverance. Yet something's wrong in your heart. Now before we leave, I want to say something to those who are not yet Christians. In some ways, you've kind of been listening in on a very personal, intimate conversation. And maybe you have a question that's come up in your mind. You may be thinking, you're talking about your relationship with Jesus like something you would have with a friend or a spouse or a parent or a child. Yes, I am. You might have thought that Christianity was a religion or a set of rules. It's a relationship. It is fundamentally about a living person who loves you 
and who wants you to love him in return. And we're being honest enough to tell you we fall short, it's hard. And that sometimes the relationship doesn't go as well as it should, not because of him, but because of us. But I want you to hear what Jesus wants is for you to know him. And this morning, he just simply says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm gonna be honest with you, yeah, there are times in which it just feels fantastic. And there are times in which you go like, I gotta work to make sure my heart is right. But today, you can know him. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.